and um, <clears throat> man, I couldn't plan my sermons any better. The way Lewis sets me up sometimes, it's funny because sometimes we don't <clears throat> we don't share with each other what we're going to do. We have ideas, we talk about them. Um, but I made a last minute change, and uh, Lewis's sermon just fits so perfectly with this this idea of where do we start. He mentioned in his sermon this morning that we we have to start somewhere. So where do we start? So oftentimes in biblical counseling, people will come to us and they will have issues uh, varying in different degrees and and, and seriousness. And the foundation of things that we try to talk to them about, it's Christ, right? If we're Christians, the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. And one of the parts of that foundation being in Jesus Christ is that the foundation is Christ, but we build our house, we build our lives on the foundation of Christ in obedience to his word. And so if I was just to come out and say that to a counselee with no backing, he'd probably look at me like I was an idiot. But because, as Lewis was saying this morning, if we were to say, where do we start? Well, we start in Genesis 1-1 where it says, in the beginning, God, Right. And so we know that because Scripture says it. And we know that Scripture is true because Scripture tells us it's true. It tells us in 2 Timothy, like he said this morning, it's God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It's sufficient. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's authoritative. All of those things we know about God's Word because God's Word reveals it to us. We know that God's Word reveals to us who He is what he's going to do, who his son Jesus is, what he came and did, and what he's going to do when he returns. We know all of these things. And so it's hard sometimes when counselees come and they don't know where to go. They don't know how they got where they're at, and they don't know um, how to get out. And sometimes you just have to say, well, when you go buy a house, what are you looking at? Well, you drive up to the property and you look at this house and you say, all right, this house is good. It's standing. That's, that's a good, that's a good start, right? And then you go in and you notice, hey, it needs some repairs and it needs a new, you know, this or that. You look at the walls, the trusses, the, you know, all that stuff. But what do we really pay attention to if you're buying a house? The foundation. You can buy a house and fix up windows and doors and walls and roof and chimney and all those pieces. But you don't want to buy a house where the foundation is cracked five or six times and, and the house is going to shift. And because everything that you fix, you'll have to go back and refix. And so today what I want to do is I want to lay the foundation down. And this is my approach that I've learned uh, when I when I first started in biblical counseling in, in the in the in the seminary. It was one of the things that one of the professors that both Lewis and I have been blessed with has talked to me about. And I think it's just a really good place to start with counselees and, and, and us as Christians. Right. And so for some of you, what I'm going to tell you, you're going to be like, yeah, I've, I know that I know that. Well, I'm glad you know that. I want you to hear it again because there's no such thing as knowing it too much. There's no such thing as we're all too big and too good to go back to the basics, right? In the military, we do basics. That, that was, that was, everything was basic, basic training, basic marksmanship skills, basic this, basic that. And it's always, always, always rooted in don't forget these things. And so these, this basic principle of what foundation we're supposed to establish our lives on, I wanna, I wanna dive into that a little bit. So today's message is called the foundation paradigm, Christ and God's word. <clears throat> Turn with me please to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, and we're, we're gonna read through 29. And I wanna jump over right after we finish this. I wanna, Pre, 
usually I try to limit how many scriptures I go to because I know, you know, I don't want to have to test your guys' Bible knowledge. Today, your Bible knowledge is going to get tested and it's for a purpose. And I hope that you see that when we get done. I'm not going to tell you what the purpose is now. I just want you to, I'm, I'm apologizing, but not apologizing up front. So, and then, but after we read this passage, I want to jump over and read the same account given in, in Luke's gospel. So Matthew chapter 24, or sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and the, and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So we see here, there's two foundations. That's it. There's just, there's, there's three points from this whole, in this whole message, but two of them are the, are the foundations. You have a, a wise foundation and you have a foolish foundation. Okay. That, that, I want you to, I want you to start picturing that in your mind. So turn to Luke chapter six, verse 46. And I'll read a little bit there. I just, I, I like this passage. I like the Matthew passage well enough. I like it. This Luke passage, it takes it one step further, and I just love this small nuance in this passage. This is what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation, built on a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. <clears throat> so the thing that I like about this is it says he is like a in verse forty eight he is like a man which built a house and digged deep, digged deep. So go back to that Matthew passage. So what I want to do, I'm going to start here just with three points, real quick. I'm going to go through some scriptures. I'm going to go through kind of some some nuances of this. If anybody wants these notes. I'll be glad to send them to you so that you could dig deeper into some of these scriptures and, 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 you know, fact check me too, you know, all those kind of things. So first we have the foundation of the wise, right? And what does it say here in our passage in Matthew chapter seven? It says, therefore, whoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken, liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. So the wise man is the person that hears and does. We don't just read God's word and close it, set it down and go about our business and do whatever we want and then come back to it on Sunday and Wednesday night and let Lewis expound some things for us, put it back and go home and do what we want or only pick up God's word when life is falling apart and we want a quick answer because we're seeking comfort because we're all about ourselves. No, we, we, we read God's word and we do it. That's how you're wise. 
See, so it, it, I want you to understand something, brothers and sisters. The foundation is Christ. The rock is Christ. But for us to build our house on the rock, we have to be hearers and doers. So I want you to understand that. So if I misspeak today and I say, hey, you know, the, the rock is the word of God. No, the rock is Christ. I understand that. The rock is Christ. We build our house on the rock, on Christ, by being obedient to his word. Not a faith-based or a works-based salvation. Being in Christ, being established in Christ, produces us to do good things, right? And so we start to build our house on the rock by being hearers and doers. Turn to James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. And we should all be familiar with this passage. James chapter 1. 22 to 25. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever, I'm sorry, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So what do we see there? We see uh, uh, being a hearer and a doer, right? We learn, and we take what we learn, and we apply it into our lives. We live it out. Because the Bible, it's very clear. It says it's like a guy looking into a glass, some translations say a mirror, and he walks away and forgets who he is. Well, what's the mirror? The mirror is God's word. When we look at ourselves as with God's word as the mirror, it's going to reveal to us what we need to do and how we need to live. And if we walk away and we don't do it, it's like looking in the mirror and getting ready for a job interview. You're getting your tie all straight and you notice, I got a big old mustard stain right here on my white shirt. My kids did a number on me. They had mustards on the hand. I got a mustard handprint right here. I need to change my shirt. Okay, but everything else looks okay. And you walk away from that mirror and you go to that job interview and the guy goes, you know, you got a mustard handprint on your shirt. That's what it's like. It's like seeing a stain and not doing anything about it. God's word reveals to us everything for life. That's what Second uh, Peter chapter 1 tells us. Everything for godliness. It shows us how to live. It shows us when we're wrong. It shows us how to get fixed. It shows us how to live right And so when we don't do those things, we are doing ourselves a grave injustice. We are just being hypocrites. Turn to Psalm 119. Remember at the end of the last passage in James, he said, the man who hears and does, this man will be blessed. My quiet time this year has been spent in Psalm 119. Um, I, you know, I, Lewis opened the doors to those rooms like he told us, and I just got sucked in. I got sucked in. I've spent so much time in the first three stanzas. I'm just, I'm one weekend, I'm doing two weeks per stanza, and I'm not saying that so that you guys can think I'm super cool. I'm doing it because I want to learn. I'm doing it because I want God to stretch me in His Word. I want to grow in God's Word. If you want to grow in God's Word, Psalm 119 is the place to go. It will reveal to you just how valuable and important and how magnificent God's Word truly is. I cannot even begin to put into words the depth and the appreciation and love that I have 
for God's Word and for God Himself and for His Son Jesus and the gift of the Spirit that dwells within me just by being in these passages. It's just growing and growing and growing. And at the same time that that's happening, He's crushing me and crushing me and crushing me. And I love it. I know that sounds crazy, but I just love it. That's how I was in the military. If I'm doing something wrong, crush me. I want to fix it. I want to move on. I like it. That's just me. So here's here's what we see in, in Psalm 119. First of all, number one, hearing and doing, right? So hearing and doing. Hearing and doing is a command from God. Psalm 119, verse 4. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. He tells us we need to live by the word. And we need to do it diligently. That means we need to be stretching ourselves. That means we're pursuing it wholeheartedly. We're not, we're not just, eh, maybe when things go wrong, I'll come to the word. No, we're going to the word in good, bad, and indifferent. We're going to the word to figure out what to do with our fears, our anxieties. We're going to the word to figure out how we praise God because he's been providing us everything that we need in our lives. How do I pray for my family? How do I fill in the blank? So we're doing that and we're doing it diligently. Number two, hearing and doing shows a heart of obedience. Look at Psalm 119, 1 through 3. I want to remind you that at the end of James 1, 22 to 25, it says this man will be blessed. Listen to this. Blessed are the undefiled or the blameless in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have a heart of obedience for the word of the Lord, and he blesses you. And what does that mean, the word blessed here? It means happy, joyous, accepted by the Lord. Not not happy and joyous because we have what the world gives us. No, happy and joyous because we have what the Lord has given us through his word. Right? Happy and joyous because we're living according to God's word. Happy and joyous because we are seeking after his way. Not our own way. Not the way of Lewis. Not the way of the world. Not the way of anything else but God and his word number three in this category of hearing and doing hearing and doing you know it's a heart of obedience it gives us it shows that we're blessed it gives us a blessed life now also to i want to stop right there right because i know what that sounds like when i say oh it's going to give us a blessed life y'all just picture you know some of these tv preachers with their big cheesy smiles and uh, if it's raining outside god wants you to have a boat mentality right well that's not it a blessed life is not a trial free life a blessed life doesn't have a life of no troubles and tribulations and sicknesses and the presence of sin in this fallen world a blessed life means it's approved by god because we're living the way god wants us to so then we see that hearing and doing provides a clear conscience. Psalm 119.6, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Another version says, Then I will not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. When we look into the mirror and we see how we're living our life, and if we're living it according to God's word, we won't have any shame. But when we look into God's word and we aren't, we have shame. So it gives us a clear conscience. And then last one in this section, hearing and joy, uh, hearing and rejoicing. I'm sorry, hearing and doing causes rejoicing. Psalm 119.7. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. When I learn and do and live out these things that you're teaching me, Lord, I'm going to rejoice because I know that I'm going to be in, 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 in honor and glory of you. I'm going to be living for you. I'm going to be building my house, going all the way back to Matthew. I'm going to be building my house on this rock in obedience to the word. 
and I'm going to rejoice in it because you're the center of my universe, because you have your hands in everything. So that's what hearing and doing. So now I want to talk about the rock. What is the rock? We build our lives on the rock of Christ by following the ways of Christ, seen in God's word. That's how it goes. Christ is the rock. We build our lives on Christ by being obedient. Cut and dry. Christ is the rock, and he is the word. Go to And Lewis shared some of that this morning, right? In John chapter 1, you go back to the beginning, John chapter 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. That's Jesus Christ, y'all. And so go to Hebrews 4.12. Go to Hebrews 4.12. I, just, I love this verse. As a biblical counselor, I love this verse so much. <clears throat> Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and to the joints and marrow and is a, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What makes the written word of God living and active, sufficient and authoritative, and inerrant and infallible, meaning inerrant there are no errors, and infallible meaning there can be no errors, is the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ. That's what makes the, that's what makes it living and active. Because Christ is living and active. Because he's interceding on our behalf. Because he's continuing to work in our lives. Because we are continuously being transformed into the image of Christ. One step at a time through this process of sanctification. So this rock, it doesn't shift and it doesn't change. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And you can bank on it because that's what God's word tells us, because that's what God revealed to us so that we would know it about Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, are you starting to get the point here? We build our lives on Christ by being obedient to the word and we infuse God's word into our lives so that it connects us even more to Christ. Christ did all the work on the cross. He saved us. He ransomed us. He redeemed us. He brought us to the Father so that we would have the darkness removed from our eyes and the light to be able to see our desperate need for a Savior. And we know all that because of His Word. If we know that because of His Word, why we wouldn't, why we wouldn't want to live the way He exampled for us and the way He wants us to live by His Word. And then we see... In our passage in Matthew, in verse 25, this is what it says <clears throat> in the first half. It says, and, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house. Not if, not maybe, it happened. So here's the reality. Trials happen. He talked about it this morning. We've talked about it a little bit here. And so... As I study scripture and as you study scripture, as we hear preaching from other men in this pulpit, and as we grow, we have all come to learn something that we've heard in this pulpit many, many a times. What are we going, how are we going to respond to what happens in our life, good, bad, or indifferent? That's really what it's about. How are we going to respond? The trials are here. They're going to come. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be death. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be suffering. Whether self-inflicted or not, how will we respond? 
I'm not going to read these passages, but please write them down. I'll call this the triangle of suffering in Scripture. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Jamin, I'm sorry, Jamin. James 1, 2 to 4. And 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. What do those all have in common? They have in common that trials are happening, that they have a purpose, and if we're faithful to God's word, they're going to work its purpose. And if our if our responses are in line with the Lord, they're working a purpose, and that they're happening for a reason. We talked about it at lunch today, myself and uh, Lewis and, and Brother Steve. We were talking about we get we get we have these trials and these tribulations for testing. And when you test something, it becomes approved. And when it's approved, it's good. Who's doing the testing? The Lord. Who's doing the approving? The Lord. Who do we want to be seen as good in the sight of? The Lord. We can't, we can't base our things off what the world or what each other thinks. It has to be according to what the Lord says. And where do we get where what the Lord says? Right here, brothers and sisters. If this is your dusty book, uh, if this is your dusty uh, table ornament, Monday through Saturday, I feel sorry for you. I would exhort you, admonish you, lovingly plead with you to pour yourself into this book so that it would wash over you and heal you. We all have a story. I could say, give me five people right now to stand up and tell me a story how you've seen God's word work in your life and change you and just blow your mind, and I could get 25 of you to stand up and do that, not just five. Don't undervalue God's word. Don't undervalue what it's telling you. These these things that happen in our life, they they serve a threefold purpose. Stick into this triangle theme. Romans 5, 3 to 5, James 1, 2 to 4, and 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. They're to test us. When we're faced with a trial, who and what will we turn to and how will we respond? That's the test. Number two, they expose. Trials expose sin in our hearts and they show us what our idols are. Even when the sin, or even when the trial isn't self-inflicted because of your sin, it still can reveal sin and it can still reveal idols. Me and Lewis talk about this a lot. I'm convinced that with every counselee that comes in, two things are going to be prevalent. Three things actually. Pride. Self-centeredness, which is almost the same thing, but you, you, it, it can be different, okay? And and seeking after comfort. And all three of those things are idols. All three of those things are idols. And everyone's like, no, comfort can't be an idol. Go ahead. Next time something bad happens in your life and you start reacting to it, just stop and think, what, are, what am I seeking after right now? I promise you, you can link it to comfort. I promise. Every single time. So that's it's testing us, it's exposing us, and then it's giving us the chance to grow. Trials provide the opportunity for sanctification. If you're not tested and you're not approved, what what are you what what good is it? What happens next? If there's no testing and approval of our faith. Everybody in scripture, all the characters that we see, they all went through testing and trials. Not one of them didn't. Not one of them didn't. Even Christ. 
And so what is the result of standing on the word? In the second half of verse 25, it says, and the house, everything, the rains came, the waters, all that stuff, it blew against the house and it fell not for it was founded upon the rock. It fell not. It gave us, if you go back to those three passages I gave you, that, that kind of that suffering triangle, it gave us perseverance. It gave us character, spiritual maturity, and hope. And ultimately, we as the believers, we know that God will bring us through the trial. And we won't be defeated by the trials. And the trials can't take from us what Christ has given us. And that's our redemption. No trial can. That's Romans 8, chapter 30, or, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. None of those things can take away what Christ has given us. None of us can, none of those things can separate us from the love of Christ. You see where I'm going with this? It's all about Christ and that rock. It's all about His Word and it's all about building our lives on that and in that. The second thing we see from these, from this passage is the foundation of the foolish. Okay? So, Foundation of the wise, they were hearers and doers. What are the foundation of the foolish? What do you think they are? They're hearers and ignorers. So hearing and ignoring shows a heart of pride. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. I'm going to read the first two verses. You can go on to read the, the next Five after that, you know, um, in your own time, but just, I wanna, I'm painting a picture. That whole, that whole thing kind of goes together. Second Timothy three, one and two. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Man, do you guys think we're living in perilous times right now? I do. I sure as heck do. This country, I, I don't even barely recognize it. I don't. And I'm not even that old. And I can, I'd only imagine when I'm gone, I wonder what my daughter will say when she's 50. How did we get here? I didn't think it could get any worse than it was when I was growing up with my dad. But it will be. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Stop. And the reason why I'm stopping right there, notice that that's first. God's word is very succinct. It's very um, detail-oriented. This list of these sins that I'm about to rattle off from God's word starts with being a lover of yourself. Self-centered, prideful, and comfort-seeking. Here we go. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, uh, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Man, do we not see that now? In the church in America, we see people who have this form of godliness and they think they're doing the right thing. And it's nothing more than their own preference. I call it preference-driven theology. And it is horrible. And it is leading people astray. Brothers and sisters, there's only one preference that we need to follow. And it's right here. That's why God revealed this word to us. That's why we have this. So that we could live by it. 
Just like we said up, up above, that hearing and obeying, hearing and doing, it gives you what? A clean conscience, right? Well, hearing and ignoring leads to having no conscience. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Ephesians 4, 18 and 19. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Hmm. Alienated having the understanding of darkness being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling. You don't even know when you're doing something wrong because you're just so used to doing it wrong that like in Romans chapter 1, I know Caleb hit on that, the Lord just turns people over to their based ways. You are so hardened to your sins that you can't even see it. You don't feel it. You're not convicted by it. Brothers and sisters, I know what that sounds like. It sounds just like an unbeliever. But I want you to know you can be a believer and get that way too. You really can. Now, I believe the Lord will bring you back. I truly do. And I believe that's why pastors and counselors exist to help point people to Christ and to use God's word to cut open their heart. Man, that would be a scary place to be where you're so far off the path that you don't even realize it. So, hearing and doing gives rejoicing. Well, here we see that hearing and ignoring causes complaining. Proverbs 19.3. Proverbs 19.3. The foolishness of man perverteth his way and his heart fretteth against the Lord. His heart complains against the Lord. His heart bickers against the Lord. He's angry with the Lord because his life looks like trash because he's making stupid decisions. Foolish decisions. That's what hearing and ignoring gets you. And then we know this. The next part of this equation is you build your house on the sand. What does that look like? Well, I can tell you this right now. Sand is shifting and changing. It doesn't stay compacted forever. It gets wet and it moves and it shifts and therefore it cracks and it makes things all uneven. Your house begins to break and fall apart. And when you go to fix the roof because it cracked because the foundation isn't bad, your window cracks. And then when you fix the crack on the window, your door goes out and then your trusses break and then this and then that and then this and then that. You can't fix your house if it's not on the right foundation. It's shifting and changing. It's unsteady and unreliable. The world does not have what we need. He said it this morning in his, in his sermon, Brother Lewis, that he said that when we are in our suffering and our trials, when we're, it doesn't matter where we're at, we can be in the highest and the goodest times of life. The world has nothing for us, has nothing. This world is not our home. We say that hundreds and hundreds of times. If the world's not our home, why would we seek things from it to appease us? When we're going to glory, it's the difference between the here and now and the yet to come. 
And it's deceitful and evil. It leads people astray, brothers and sisters. It takes you away from God. It makes you shift your values and your knowledge of God. And you start to think things like, well, I guess if, I guess if women need to have a choice over their body, it'd be okay for them to have an abortion. I, I, I do believe that people should have choices like that. That's what the world's going to teach you. And they're sneaky and they're putting it in literature and they're putting things to our children in literature about how many uh, different uh, uh, genders there are and what kind of sexuality is okay and not okay. The world is, pull, is trying to pull people away. Satan is trying to pull us away. Oh, but here's the thing. If you're built on the rock, the rock that doesn't move, the rock that doesn't shift, the rock that doesn't break or change and never stops sustaining because you're in his word and you're obedient to his word, the word tells us that we're going to overcome all those things in the world because of Christ. And so there's hope. Verse 27, the rains came, the winds blew, it beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The results of standing on the word, I'm sorry, on the on the world are are pretty bad. Go to Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, and a salt land, and not inhabited. Basically, it's painting a picture. If you put your hope in the world and in men, you're a tree in the desert with no water source, and your arm cannot reach where the water is. It reaches out into the dry and parched, uninhabited land. And you will have no sustainment. You will have no nourishment. You will have, you, your thirst will never be satiated. In James 4 4, James 4 4, it tells us that if we are friends of the world, then we are enmity with God. Why would you want to put your hope and stand on the world if it makes you an enemy of God? What has God done for you? Just ask yourself that question. Do you even realize the magnitude of what God's done for you? I mean, think about the blind guy in this story from this morning. And think about he opens our eyes to see. Even if the only thing we can see is, I need a Savior. We fall at our knees and we surrender. And because of Christ, we are seen as righteous. And we are washed in His blood. And we are adopted into God's family. And we are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. That's what God's done for us. But I want what the world has. I want comfort. I like me and what I want. I like self-gratification. I like self-edification. Man, I just, I can't fathom it. And as I say that, I'm thinking to myself, Robert, you do the same thing sometimes. Because I do, right? I'm not perfect. I'm not here saying, hey guys, look at me. I'm doing it right. I'm here to tell you that we're all susceptible to this. How do we protect ourselves? Right here. We guard ourselves in the Word. 
So we have, a, we have a foundation of the wise, we have a foundation of the foolish, and the last thing I want to cover is foundation established by authority. There's a foundation that's established by authority, and that is the wise foundation. We see that in verses 28 and 29 of Matthew chapter 7. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So in verse 28, it says that they were astonished at his doctrine. The people were dumbfounded that Jesus would say these things and he, and he was so clear and he was so concise and it was wise. It was forward, straightforward. It was fearless. And he, he didn't, they, the, these people, they didn't hear warnings like this. And if you go back to chapter seven, just a little bit further back, verses seven, uh, in chapter seven, 21 to 23, that's that passage. It should, it should scare all of us straight. To me, I find it to be the most scariest passage in Scripture. Some of you are going to tell me that you were doing all these great things in my name. You were prophesying and you were doing all this stuff. And you're going to, you're, and, and, and it says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. What's the will of the Father? Where do we get that? Where do we find that? How do we, how do we know what it is? It's right here in the Word. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, we have not prophesied, in, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in the name of, and, and in your name cast out devils? And in your name done many wonderful things? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. These people haven't heard talk like that up until this point. Jesus is, is, is pouring it out right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached. Christian living in the kingdom. And he's saying, don't be a, don't be a, a hearer only. Be a doer too. Because if you're not, it's not enough. Because you don't really care. You don't have a heart for me. You have a heart for you. And you just want to look good by using my name and saying, oh, I read my Bible today. And then the next thing we see in verse 29, it says, having authority and then not of the scribes. The scribes and the Pharisees, they used other people's words. They stood on other people's preferences and their thoughts. Not Jesus. Jesus spoke from God's word and he spoke as the final authority on God's word because Jesus is God's word. That's it, final authority. You want to serve the world with all these different authorities, with all these different truths? Truth is subjective in the world. Truth is objective in the word. So three points of application in closing. Number one, obedience Living or, or living for God's word. Obedience requires dependency on God. Go back to Psalm 119. I used all these verses from the first stanza. So Psalm 119 shows a dependence on God. Psalm 119.5. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. That word, oh, that's him crying out to God. Oh, Lord, direct my ways or another translation says, establish my ways so that I can keep your statutes, so that I can keep your commandments, so I can live for your word. I need you. I'm dependent upon you. And then Psalm 119.8, it's a volitional decision for obedience and dependence on God. I will keep thy statutes. Oh, 
forsake me not utterly. I'm going to keep your statutes. Please, Lord, don't forsake me utterly. I'm trusting in you. I depend on you. Dependency on God creates intimacy with God. And we do that. We, we talk about it here all the time. We usually say four B's. I'm going to say five B's like because we added that other one. We're in the word. We're in prayer. We're in church. We're in accountability and we're sharing the gospel. That's how we get, that's how we get intimacy with God. That's how we grow closer to God because we're being obedient to God. And then we see the third take home application of this dependence, dependency on God and intimacy with God enables resiliency given by God. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that we're new creations. That's resiliency every day. You know, that's not just for the point of salvation, right, brothers and sisters? 2 Corinthians 5.17 can be your verse every day. Every day, the old is gone and the new is come. You are a new creation. Preach that to yourself because Satan will use your past against you. He will use the truth of who you were to derail you with a lie of who you can be in Christ. I promise you that. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us not to conform to the world. You can't be resilient enough not to conform to the word without being intimate with God and without depending on God. And turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. It's another biblical counseling go-to about God's word. Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. A life learning God's word allows us to have patience and comfort in the trials and a hope for what is to come after the trials. It's all found in God's word, brothers and sisters. May we be a church that builds our lives on the rock who is Christ in obedience to his word. And if we start there, that is that is step one in a foundation. If you're talking to somebody this week or in the weeks to come and you don't know where to go with them and they're 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 struggling, check their foundation. Check their foundation. I pray that this is uh, of benefit to you and to those that you care for and that you minister to. And I pray that from time to time that we will do a foundation check on our own lives and make sure that we are continuing to build our house, our houses and our lives on the rock. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your mercy. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for the rock that is our salvation, for the rock that never changes and doesn't shift, for his strength to uphold us, to sustain us, Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to your word, that we would live for Christ in obedience to your word, and that we would glorify you, magnify Christ, edify one another's, and seek to be sanctified by the Spirit and the washing of your word.